Church family, and welcome to Church Online. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. As we worship together today, let's celebrate the life that we've been given in Christ Jesus. You have come, we have found life everlasting. Now working all things out. You're working all things out. 
They're on their way into the temple. And as they're on their way into the temple, there's a man who has been crippled from birth. And he cries out and, and is begging for money. And Peter and John look at him and say, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this man who had been crippled for years and years and years got up and he walked. Obviously, the people around who knew this man, they had seen this man, they, they were shocked. And so people came from all directions wanting to know from Peter and John, how did you do this? And this is what he says in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know your situation or circumstance, but I do know that we serve an incredible, powerful God. And I wanna encourage you to invite him into your situation, into your circumstance. By faith in Jesus' name, declare it a victory through him. Why don't you take a moment, lift up whatever that need may be, and let's agree together for God's blessing. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your power, your authority over all things, Lord. God, for those who are struggling with addiction, in the name of Jesus, may the addiction be gone. God, for those who need some sort of a physical healing, in the name of Jesus, God, we declare complete and physical restoration. Lord, for those who need a touch in their finances, God, I pray for breakthrough. God, I pray for provision. Lord, we thank you for being so gracious, for being so kind. And God, we thank you that there is so much power in your name. And all of God's children said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We have so much in store for you today. God is gonna speak to you today. Before we dive into the word, let's turn our eyes to church news to stay up to date on all the things that are happening. Hey, Bridge family. We're so glad that you are joining us today for Church Online. Before we get into the message today, we want to keep you up to date with what's happening in church life. We aren't quite ready to have our regular in-person services just yet, but we are excited to continue connecting with you online throughout the week. Here's a look at what's going on here at The Bridge. We hope you will join us and stay plugged in. Our community care program is distributing food every Sunday to people who might be in need of assistance. Distribution happens at 1045 a.m. each Sunday in the back of our church building. If you or anyone you know is in need during this season, we encourage you to come and receive from community care. We are here to help. We also want to say a big thank you to our team who serves so selflessly every weekend as well as everyone who is generously given during this unprecedented season. Because of you, we are able to lend a helping hand and show the love of Jesus to people right here in the Temecula Valley. Hey, Bridge Church family. We are so excited to be back in person this Sunday night for an outdoor service. We didn't have one last week. Hope you had a great time. Father's Day, celebrating with your dads, but we're back. This week, we'll be out on the plaza 6 p.m. Don't forget, class of 2020 graduates, we're honoring and celebrating you. 
make sure to show up get ready to hang out also we're gonna have a photo booth and stuff afterwards for you graduates so meet us there it's gonna be a great time together worshiping hearing God's Word and praying together so we'll see you this Sunday night at 6 p.m. Hey parents, it's a privilege to connect with your kids each week and right now is the time to start their Bridge Kids online service. So grab another phone, tablet, or device and visit our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Click on the menu tab and select Bridge Kids. You can also go to the Bridge Kids Instagram and Facebook page to access the services there. Thanks so much for the opportunity to keep your kids connected with God and with their church family. Oh, hey there, boys and girls, and hello, Bridge Church. My name is Gavin Gizmo, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you all about Fast Forward, our Bridge Kids online summer experience. It's going to be happening July 6th through July 9th. You can meet me and a bunch of my friends here in Summerfield with our four days of games, crafts, and Bible stories that will help you draw closer to God. So parents, sign your kids up online at the Bridge Church website before July 5th, and I will see you in Summerfield. If you want to stay informed, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. This is the easiest way to get all of the info on what's happening from day to day at the Bridge. You can also stay informed by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords the Bridge Church space app to 77977. For more general info, log on to our website, thebridgechurch.tv. And if you're joining us for the first time and want to find out more about the church, we invite you to go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There, you'll find a digital Connect card where we can help you get plugged in. Just take a moment to fill it out and we will be happy to connect with you. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning, Bridge Church. We're so glad you've joined us for Sunday morning online worship here at the Bridge Church. And we want to just take a moment out of our regularly scheduled service and just let you know we love you and appreciate you so much. And this is such an unusual season for all of us. And one of the things that we miss most in this season is our ability to interact with you, to hear what's going on in your life, to have time to pray with you. And you know, every day we're praying for you. You are in our hearts. You're always on our minds and our prayers go out to you. And we're believing God to be big in your life in this season. But we wanted to take a moment in this Sunday morning service at this time and just pray for the needs that you might have. There's all kinds of needs represented in our audience today, but Ann and I just want to join our faith together, and we want to ask God on your behalf to meet your needs. So we ask you to join us right now. If you want to join hands with someone there in the room with you, or if you just want to wrap your, wrap your faith around what we're about to do, we encourage you right now. Let's believe God together to meet the needs in your life today. So let's pray. Yes. Father, we come before you right now and we are so thankful that we can run to you with everything. We thank you that you are faithful to hear and answer our prayers. And God, I thank you that you know every person watching right now. You know them personally, by name. You know every situation they're facing and every need they have. So Father, we lift these needs to you right now. And God, we ask for your divine intervention in each life. Father, we ask for healing where healing is needed, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, spiritually, healing in relationships in Jesus' name. And Father, we ask for wisdom and guidance and direction for those facing decisions, God. 
Give them your divine wisdom. And Father, we pray for provision, supernatural provision and blessings in their lives in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for protection for your people, for their families, God. And Father, I pray for your peace, that your peace would just wash over their minds and their hearts now in Jesus' name. And God, I am asking right now in this moment that you would strengthen, refresh, and encourage your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, and Father, we just thank you that you're big. Your promises are forever settled in heaven already. And we grab your promises today. We trust you and we say thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer and for meeting the needs of your people today. And God, I believe this week you're going to show up big in all of our lives. Thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, again, thank you so much for joining us today. And now we want you to hear Pastor Zach and a great message he's going to be sharing today. Good morning, Bridge family. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. Even though we aren't here together in this room, we're together in your home and really just all across this valley or wherever it is that you're tuning in from today. We're so, so glad that you chose to be in church this morning. And um, I just also want to take a moment just to commend you and say thank you so much for your faithfulness, your continued, not just support and all the different ways that you're involved with what the bridge is doing here in the Temecula Valley, but just for being the church in your homes, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods. It's so awesome that we are continuing to be the church. There's never been a more valuable time to just continue with that mandate of being the church than right now and in this season that we're in. And, uh, you know, as much as I'm longing to be back in person, you know, to gather on Sunday mornings, again, i got to be honest, I'm grateful. This has been a season of just finding things to be thankful for. As Pastor Nick talked about a couple weeks ago, we're just finding things to be grateful for. And I'm thankful that we get to have church online on Sunday mornings because there was a time not that long ago where we wouldn't have been able to do this a few years back. And so this is really a blessing to be able to do this. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being the church Where you are and everywhere that you go, it's really a privilege to be a part of the same body locally here together. Um, This morning, I want to bring you a message from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible that you want to turn to there, if you don't, obviously we'll have the scriptures on the screens for you today. But I want to kind of set up where it is that we're going today because I think it's important that we kind of understand the context of all this. You know, this season that we are in right now has been obviously a very different season. We all know that. And if you go back over the last three months or so, I think that one of the things that we've all experienced, you know, living in close quarters with our family, and if you're like me and you have small kids, it can feel like really close quarters because you're spending so much time together and, you know, that interpersonal time that you have just seems to be so intense sometimes until you get to the end of the day and, you know, you put your kids to bed and you find a little bit of quiet time. The time that we have together can be really intense. And I think that this time that we've had, for me personally, it's really magnified this reality of the way that I'm living my life and the things that I value and the, the things that I choose to be important in my life are really starting to turn out in my kids. I see a reflection of those things in my kids, in their words and in their lives and you know the things that they do. And it's really had to make me guard and take a second look at how I live my life and the things that I value, the things that I say, the things that I'm meditating on. This season has really magnified and amplified that. And, you know, about three plus months ago, I believe it was two weeks before we got our first stay-at-home orders here in California, uh, my family and I, my wife and my kids, we were all out of state, and we were back in Arkansas, and that's where I was born, 
And uh, many of you in the church, you know that about me. But maybe you didn't know that. We were back visiting my family back there, my extended family, celebrating my grandfather's 85th birthday. And that weekend that we were back there, I was actually invited to speak in my family's church back there. And I was given a topic to speak on, and that topic was the topic of legacy. And I remember speaking that weekend, and I brought that message, and when I was done that weekend, I kind of just took the message, I put it on the shelf, and I never really gave it a second thought. I didn't know if I'd ever preach that message again. But over the last few days, I really just felt like God was bringing that message to memory, and for some reason, it felt like this was the time to kind of just open this up and get into it with our church family. And I think the reason why is because right now in June, you know, the two prominent things that we're focusing on are grads and dads. And last weekend being Father's Day, right now we're t- continually to, continuing to kind of progressively honor graduates. And, you know, tonight at our outdoor service, we're going to honor the graduates here at the bridge, the high school and college graduates. And in this season, it seems like it's so important to talk about legacy, the legacy that we're leaving if we're dads or if we're parents. Um, even if we don't have kids, we have the opportunity to leave a legacy of the goodness of God in our everyday lives, whether that's in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our friendships, or wherever it is that we're building community, perhaps it's in our family with our family members that aren't walking in a relationship with God. We have an opportunity to build a legacy. For all of our graduates in high school and in college right now, you're going out into the world and, you know, real life is going to come at you real fast. And the legacy that's been handed to you is going to really just start to come to the surface because you're going to have to make decisions about what you value the most in life and the precedent that you're going to set in the direction that you're going to choose to go. That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and an Old Testament passage of Scripture here that really talks about legacy. So let's look at it in Deuteronomy 6 verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. Let's put it a different way. Look at this picture. You, your children, your grandchildren, three generations worth spoken right there by Moses, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Verse 3, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Speaking of the promised land that God has promised to them that they are about to go and to possess. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Other translations here say the Lord alone is God. Verse 5, a verse that we know so well, a very familiar verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your Heart. If you're taking notes at home, right there at the top of your page, write it in big, bold letters, the word heart. Now let's keep going. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, or the road specifically is what it's talking about, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. If you're taking notes, again, second word to write down in big, bold letters, write down the word hand or hands. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And the third word to write down there in your notes, big, bold letters, write down the word house. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your 
gates. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that during this time that we're spending together today getting into your word, that you would encourage us, you would inspire us to understand the legacy that you are calling, calling us to build in the day and age in which we live, in the world in which we live, the families that we belong to, the workplaces that we go to work in every day, the neighborhoods that you've placed us in. I pray that you would reveal to us the will that you have, that way in which that we should follow you so that we can inspire and encourage others to live the life that you are calling them to live as well. Let us be legacy-minded in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes again, I gave you three words to write down, and those three words are the simple title of this message today. Hearts, hands, and houses. Hearts, hands, and houses. If you want a subtitle for this message today, you could say it's building a legacy of faith. Hearts, hands, and houses, building a legacy of faith. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is a very, very interesting book for a whole long list of reasons. There's a lot of important things that we see in the book of Deuteronomy. First and foremost, we see a history of the nation of Israel going back to the book of Genesis. We see an explanation of the law of Moses right there in Deuteronomy. We see an explanation of the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. And then throughout the rest of the book, we actually see a series of sermons, if you will, from Moses to the Israelite people. And these sermons are targeted at them to encourage them and to inspire them to get to the promised land that God is going to give them. But not just get there, stay there, remain there, thrive there, be blessed there, and be prosperous there when they get into that land. That is the intention of Moses throughout this entire book. And these these words that he speaks and the way that it's recorded, it's all intended that this nation would get to that promised land and be blessed when they get there and remain blessed as they stay there. But with all of that in mind, as important as the book of Deuteronomy is, you know, it's one of those the books from the Hebrew Torah, the fifth book in the Torah. As important as it is, one of the things that we have to understand is that Deuteronomy, if I'm being honest, I'm a pastor, Deuteronomy is not the most exciting book in the Bible. Because for a lot of us, when we look at the book of Deuteronomy, if we were to try to summarize it or you know, concisely describe that book down into one word, we would probably summarize the book of Deuteronomy with the word law. Because again, we see the law of Moses. We see the Ten Commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments that Moses talks about here that the Israelites were to keep. It's so easy to look at this book and simply think about law or legalism. But in reality, the more that I read this book, the more I understand that the theme of this book is not at all law. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the theme of the book of Deuteronomy is the word legacy. Because a legacy is what Moses is trying to hand off to the next generation of Israelites. Not so that Moses will be blessed, but so that they will be blessed. So that they can experience God's blessing in every area of their life. And I want to just charge you with this thought today. I want to walk through life blessed, and I believe that you want to walk through life blessed as well. And I think that God wants to bless us. But in the process of living our lives, God has also given us the responsibility of leaving a legacy of the goodness of God so those who are to follow us can experience that same blessing. So that when our life is over, the blessing doesn't stop here. It continues on to the next generation. You might be watching right now and you say, Zach, I don't have kids. I don't really consider you know, leaving a legacy to my kids or my grandkids. Maybe that's not where you're at yet. Maybe it's where you're going to be one day. Maybe you haven't had kids or you're not going to have kids. I don't want to say that this is specifically toward parents or grandparents. But everybody will find themselves in a place in life where they have the opportunity to influence other people and leave a legacy of the goodness of God. And that's exactly what Moses understands here. And he's trying to hand that off 
to the people. So he talks to them about the importance of keeping God's commandments and statutes so that they can be blessed. But he gets very specific in the way in which he goes about describing it. He says, how is it that I can apply these statutes, these commandments, to my everyday life? Let's take some time to walk specifically through this passage of Scripture that we just read in Deuteronomy 6 and see how we apply it to our lives so that we can walk in God's blessing and leave a legacy of faith behind us, okay? Look one more time, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. It says, excuse me, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, most of us know this passage of Scripture very, very well, but I think, you know, for all of us as New Testament Christians, we don't just know this passage because Moses speaking it in Deuteronomy 6. We know it because Jesus spoke it in the Gospels. In fact, we see it in the three synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? He says, the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, or maybe heart, soul, mind, and strength, depending on what translation you're reading from. And when he says this, it pleases the Pharisees, and they accept this answer from Jesus, because the Pharisees know that Jesus is quoting this passage of scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But we see most specifically, I believe in the Matthew 22 account, when Jesus has asked this question, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on and says, oh, and the second command is just like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on this, on this commandment hang all the law and the prophets. Everything you were taught growing up, we as New Testament Christians, everything that we see from the Old Testament, all of that points to this idea that we can fulfill God's commands if we love him with everything we have, but we also love our neighbor as ourselves. And so Jesus says this and he echoes the words of Moses. So here we see this idea of loving the Lord our God with everything we have in an Old Testament and a New Testament, New Testament context. So let's keep going. Look at verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. The first word that we're going to talk about today, heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So I gave you three words today. Let's take three points from those words and get into this and apply these principles to our life, okay? If you're taking notes, number one, a legacy of faith always starts in our hearts. A legacy of faith always starts in our hearts. Let's talk about our heart for just a moment. Now, everybody that calls the Bridge Church home, if you have heard me speak before, you're going to hear a couple of passages of Scripture and a couple of thoughts that I refer to all the time because these are so key and so foundational in our walk with God. The condition of our heart is the one thing that we need to teach as being highly important above all else to our kids and to those in our sphere of influence. They need to know and understand that God is more concerned with one thing than anything else, and that is the condition of our heart. That's the thing that God cares about the most. Let's look at Psalm 19 and verse 14. This is what the psalmist said. He said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Isn't it interesting that the psalmist would say, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I think the psalmist understood that the words of my mouth will be a reflection of the things that my heart is meditating on. 
So therefore, I'm not just going to try to please God with the words that I mouth or the or words of my mouth or the things that I say. No, if I can please God with the meditations of my heart, if I can meditate on his word, if I can meditate on the things that are good, on his character, on his values, on the things that God values and says are important, if I can meditate on those things, then the words of my mouth are going to take care of themselves. I think the psalmist had that revelation, and I think he understood it. And you and I, we should know and understand that the way we please God is not just through our external activity and the things that we do. No, we please God by meditating on his truths, on what he values, what's important to him, and therefore everything else falls into place. Everything else starts to take care of itself. You say, how is it that you know that, Zach? Well, we see it illustrated perfectly by the words of Jesus. This is Luke 6. In verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Watch this. For out of the abundance, when you see the word abundance in scripture, think overflow. For out of the abundance or the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So the psalmist understood, if I get the meditations of my heart right, the words of my mouth, they'll follow suit. They'll find, they'll find the perfect place in my life because I'm not going to be worried about what comes out of my mouth and the things that are going into my heart are good. Psalmist understood this, and then Jesus echoes those words. What's so cool about this is that I kind of look back and I think about the way that I heard this when I was growing up. I had always thought growing up in maybe a legalistic fashion that the way I please God is by saying the right things, making sure that the wrong things don't come out of my mouth. But what Jesus is talking about here is not control of the tongue. He's talking about control of the heart, making sure that I take control of what's going into my heart because the things that come out of my mouth will be a reflection of what's happening in my heart. Can I just give you a quick pastoral observation? You will always know what's going on in someone's heart by listening to the words that come out of their mouth. If it's evil stuff that's coming out of their mouth, it's because they're praying or really just meditating, praying is the wrong word, meditating on evil things in their heart. If there are fearful words that are coming out of their mouth, it's because fear is what's being consumed by their heart. It's being an overflow. It's an overflow of what's going on on the inside, and it's coming out externally. You know, I think about this passage of Scripture, and one of the things that I'm reminded of is when I was younger, I had a coach in one of my sports teams, and he was a pro athlete, and you know, my dad was my pitching coach, Pastor Gary. He was my pitching coach on our team. And so we had another coach on our team, and he was a pro athlete, played for many years. He was very well accomplished and uh, just had a really great career. And uh, he went on to be a professional coach during the regular season in his sport. And so in the off season, he would come and he would work with our team. And I remember when our team would get around this guy, he was so disciplined in his exercises and his training and in his drills. And he would drill this into us and he would talk about the discipline, the discipline, the discipline, the memory, the muscle memory, the actions that you need to take so that you create these disciplines in your life. And when we would sit there and go over these drills and do these things, we were just blown away with the discipline that this guy had. But we were also high school kids and we would get around him away from, you know, the, the training and the practices, and we would listen to him talk, and some of the foul language and things that would come out of this guy's mouth would just make our heads spin. And we were pretty young, impressionable high, impressionable high school students, and we would just be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that these things are being said, like, right here on our campus. And it blew us away. 
And I remember my dad, you know, Pastor Gary, as being a part of our coaching staff, he would hear the things that this guy says, and I'll never forget having a conversation with him one day. And we were talking about the work ethic and, you know, the training and the things that he was instilling into us. And we were like, man, this guy was so disciplined, and he's teaching us all of these disciplines. And it takes a lot of work to, you know, really build that discipline into our own training and into our own lives. And I'll never forget looking at my dad and saying, but man, when it comes to the words that come out of this guy's mouth, it's amazing some of the things that he says. And I remembered saying to my dad, he sure hasn't mastered the control of the tongue. And my dad looking at me and saying, you know what, can I be honest with you? It's not an issue of the tongue. It's an issue of the heart. There's some things that are unsettled here. You can tell that there's a lot of things that are being consumed that are dwelling here, and the overflow is coming out of his mouth. And Jesus wasn't addressing controlling the tongue. He was addressing controlling the heart. And when it comes to the world around us, if we want to see uh, leave a legacy of faith and build a legacy of faith in the world and the families in which we live, we're going to show that to people because of the words that come out of our mouth. But it won't just be the words. The words are an overflow of the meditation of our heart because a legacy of faith starts in our heart. Maybe the most um, famous passage of Scripture that talks about the way in which we keep the condition of our heart is Proverbs 4 and verse 23. I love this. One of my most favorite passages of Scripture. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. Make sure that not just anything gets into your heart. Because out of the things that you consume with your heart will spring up as issues in your life. And let me just say this one more time. Pastoral observation. All the time as pastors, you know, when we talk to people that are dealing with real life, real world challenges all the time, and they'll come and say, look, here are all of my issues. And oftentimes the conversation that they want to have is help me fix my issues or maybe even fix my issues for me. And it's like, listen, can I be honest with you? Your issues aren't your problem. Your heart is your problem. Because there are too many things that you're allowing to get in your heart that are springing up and creating other kinds of issues in your life. And sadly, we can tell what's going on. As a Christian, you should be able to tell what's going on in someone's heart simply by looking at the issues that are flowing in their life. And we have to guard our heart and keep our heart with all diligence. There are other translations that say with vigilance. We have to be vigilant about this to make sure that not just anything makes its way into our heart. And before we move on to the next thing, I'm spending a lot of time right here, but I think it's most important to talk about the heart. Before we move on to the next thing, I want to say this. You know, when we started getting our shutdown orders and, you know, stay-at-home orders during this pandemic that we've been facing, it created a lot more time and a lot more space, you know, not just in home with our families and to do things at home, you know, as a family unit, but for a lot of us in the free time that we had in the downtime and the quiet time, it created a lot of time for us to be watching TV, watching movies, you know, watching shows or series that we can get into that maybe we didn't have time for before. And I'm just like you. I watch TV. There's movies and shows that I like just like you. But i got to be really honest with you. My wife and I, we were actually at Pastor Nick and Jessica's house a few days ago, and we were having this conversation about how we had recently started watching certain movies. And the things that we were watching or the shows that we were watching was because people in our world were like, oh, yeah, you should check this out. You should watch this. It's so good. And, I mean, I could name it. I'm not going to call anybody by name, but we could name it. I remember turning on these shows and, like, watching some of the content and some of the subject matter in these shows. And as soon as it came on, it was like I was just confronted with something that in my heart I knew wasn't right according to God's word. And I remember looking at my, my wife, and listen, I'm not legalistic about this stuff. I don't really think of myself as being easily offended or being a prude about stuff. But I'll be really honest with you. I remember going to my wife and just saying, I don't want to watch this show. She would say, how was that show? Was it good? And I would say, you know, 
I don't really want to watch that anymore. I don't want to watch this show anymore. Because I felt in my heart like I was accepting something that I knew not to be right in the sight of God into my life and more specifically into my home. And if I accept it as being okay now, who's to say that I don't start to give a little bit of ground to the enemy and suddenly things that aren't okay in the sight of God become okay in my life? And what about my kids' life? What if they start to pick up on the things that I've accepted in my life and say, well, mom and dad say it's okay, so it must be all right. Can I tell you something? We as Christians have a responsibility not to be legalistic, but to guard our hearts, guard our homes. Don't just let anything into your heart and into your home because pretty soon it's going to spring up as an issue in your life where you've accepted this as being okay. And your kids will see it. The people in your world will see it. And the thing that God is calling us to is to leave a legacy of faith. But it all starts in our hearts. Guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it will spring the issues of life. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about our heart and the issues of our life, but I just want to throw this quote at you real quick because I use this all the time, and many of you will know it. You've heard me say it. An old Southern Baptist preacher, his name was Adrian Rogers. He had this great quote that we refer to all the time. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. If you look at the issues that are happening in the world around us today, listen, so many of these issues, we're trying to legislate them away. We're pointing fingers this way and that way and the other way. But at the end of the day, if things don't change in the human heart, nothing will change in our society. And that's just the reality of the situation. Change always starts in the heart. And so often what we do is we try to tell our kids that the way that they please God will be by the things that they do. But that's a message of religion. The way that we please God is by having the heart right because we're not human doings. We are human beings. If we get the being right, the doing will take care of itself. A legacy of faith always starts in the heart. All right, now, we've got to keep going. Let's go from heart, and let's talk for a moment about our hands. Look at verse 8 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall bind them, these commands, these statutes, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, we don't have time to unpack the full context of this passage of Scripture, but one thing I can tell you is that that word frontlets is referring to something that Jews throughout many centuries now have practiced. Even today in modern uh, Orthodox Judaism, you'll see many uh, Jewish people that will practice these things with frontlets where they put things on their hands, on their wrists, between their eyes to keep the Word of God before them at all times. And, you know, I don't want to say that in a legalistic way, but the practice behind that is very genuine to make sure that we see life through the lens of God's commandments and God's statutes. So we talk first about the heart. A legacy of faith starts in the heart. But here's the second thing I want to show you. A legacy of faith is seen in our hands. Or more specifically, it's seen in the works of our hands and the dealings of our hands and the way in which we treat other people. The works that we have with other people. Maybe it's the way that you do business. Maybe it's the way that you handle money. The, the legacy of faith that God wants to build in our lives will always be seen in the works of our hands. So let's talk for just a moment about our hands. In the same way that the words of our mouth are an overflow of what's going on in our heart, the dealings of our hands are an overflow or reflection of the intentions and the meditations of our heart. The things that I do with my hands will always be a reflection of what's going on here in my heart. And the psalmist, again, has so many good things to say about this. This is what he said, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 5. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Notice, clean hands going hand in hand or side by side 
with a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I love that thought that clean hands will go side by side or be a reflection of a pure heart. The psalmist talked about this again. He knew it, not just the words of his mouth being a reflection of what's going on in his heart, but the deeds, the works, the dealings of his hands will be a reflection of the intention of his heart. So if we want to have clean hands, it always starts in the heart, but it's seen that legacy that God wants to build, that thing that he wants to do through our lives will be revealed and seen in the works of our hands. Now watch this, Psalm 18, verse 24. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me. That's not a word that we use very often, but we'll talk about that in just a moment and what it means. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. Notice those words, recompensed me according to my righteousness. Interesting thought. Let's talk about that in a moment. According to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now, this is the psalmist talking about there are people surrounding him. There are people who would be his enemies that are making false accusations. They're throwing slings and arrows at him. They're coming after him, maybe even trying to kill him or dethrone uh, King David. And as he's talking about these things, he says that the Lord has recompensed me. That word recompensed, really what it means is that God has reconciled him in the sight of his enemies according to, he says, according to my righteousness. Now, most of the time we talk about the righteousness of God, but here he's saying God reconciled me in the sight of my enemies according to my righteousness. What's he saying? He says, listen, my heart is pure in the sight of the Lord. When God looks at us, we might not think of ourselves as righteous, but as Christians, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, God sees us as righteous. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the sacrifice in this thing that we have put our faith in, so therefore he sees us as righteous. And he says, he's recompensed me or reconciled me in the sight of my enemies because of my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. A legacy of faith will always be seen in my hands, or the dealings of my hands, the works of my hands. What David is really saying here, most specifically, is he says, people might be making accusations against me, but God knows. God who deems my heart is righteous, he knows what the dealings of my hands are, so therefore he has recompensed me. You know, in our Christian life and in our walk with God, we are going to be tempted over and over to take shortcuts in life or maybe even get our hands dirty when it comes to the dealings of our hands. Sometimes it might be when nobody's looking around. We might have an opportunity to do something that's advantageous for us, but before God, it's dishonest. Maybe it's something that would give us an advantage and it puts somebody else down. And if nobody knows the difference and if nobody sees, then hey, it never happened, right? Well, no, according to God, God sees all the intentions of our heart and he sees the dealings of our hands. And so there's going to be times throughout our Christian life where we, going to be, where we are going to be tempted to make decisions and the works of our hands not be done with integrity. But the psalmist says here that because God has deemed my heart righteous, the dealings of my hands are good, so no matter what anybody says around, about me or, or might, might accuse me of, I can trust that God is going to work this out on my behalf. And this is something that's so interesting to me because, you know, as a Christian, I think, and we say this all the time, that Christians should be the most honest business people that there are. Christians should be the people who have integrity in all of their dealings. The works of their hands are good. The things that they do, their intentions aren't just looking out for their own good and their best interests, but looking out for the best interests of others. But sadly, what we see sometimes is that in Christian life and even in the church, not everybody does that. It's interesting 
If you look at the, the book of Timothy, or Timothy's, uh, the two epistles with Timothy from Paul, when he talked to Timothy about the qualifications of deacons, he didn't just talk about their integrity internally, he talked about the dealings of their hand and the way in which they treated other people as being qualifications for being a deacon in the church. And you might say, Zach, I'm not trying to be a deacon in the church, but can I tell you something? God is calling you to be a witness of his goodness in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your family. And your friendships, everywhere that you go, God is calling you to be a witness, which means that the dealings of our hands should be a reflection of the good things that God has done in our hearts. I have a family friend that I've known for a long time, and he works for a large Christian organization. And I remember a few years ago, I was having a conversation with him, and he told me something very interesting. He said, Zach, he goes, I've dealt with many, many people in the Christian world, in the ministry world, those who carry the title of pastor. And he said, and if I'm really honest with you, I would rather do business with people outside of the church than people inside of the church. He said, because some of the people who have the least amount of integrity in their business dealings are people who call themselves Christians or more specifically people in ministry or who carry the title of pastor. Man, that hit me so hard. And it was honestly, it was heartbreaking. And I said, why is that? And he said, you know, if I can be really honest with you, he said, what I've discovered is that there are a lot of people inside the church, the business dealings, it's like they're trying to gain an advantage on somebody else and they call it the blessing of God where they get the advantage in a business dealing and the other person takes the loss. He said, but what I found outside of the church is that people that want to have good, long-term business relationships, they understand that a good business dealing is when there's advantage for me and advantage for you. A good business transaction is when it's a win-win, not a win-loss or a loss-win, where we both come out on the good side of this transaction. He said, and sadly, I've seen too many Christians having bad business dealings, and as a result, there's dirt on their hands. And I thought, wow. How sad is it to think that Christians would do that, even in the name of God, do that and have dirt on their hands to where people around them would think negatively about God because of the decision that they made in their own life. Here's the thing. A legacy of faith starts in our heart and it's revealed or shown or seen in the dealings of our hands. And whether it's business, whether it's the way you treat other people, whether it's the way you handle money, can I tell you something? When it comes to being generous or being stingy, some of the greatest people of God that I have ever met revealed what God had done in their heart because of the generosity that they showed to me or to somebody else with their hands. And God is calling us as the people of God to be generous people. He's calling us to have clean hands in our dealings. Can I tell you something? As a, as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a business person of God, you might be tempted to make some negative decisions or do some things that might get your hands dirty sometimes. But the way that we're supposed to walk in integrity is by doing the right thing even when nobody knows that we did the right thing and allow God to shuffle and work out all the way the chips fall. The way that things settle in the long run, we have to trust that God's going to work all that out because sometimes we think, oh, the way we get ahead is by just taking advantage of this dealing when nobody would know the decision that I made. But can I just tell you something? God sees what's going on. He knows the workings of our hands, and the truth always comes out in the long run. A legacy of faith is seen in the dealings of our hands. Moms, dads, grandparents, our kids need to see us being generous. Our kids need to see us being fair and even-handed in our business dealings and the way that we handle money and the way that we treat other people. Our kids need to see that. Why? Because a legacy of faith starts in our heart, but it's shown and seen in our hands. We could spend a lot more time talking about the works of our hands and how it is that it shows what God has done in our heart, but we don't have time to do that. Let's move to the third and final thing. Here's the last thing I want to show you. It's in verse 9 from Deuteronomy 6. Moses says, you shall write them, these commandments, on the doorposts of your 
house and on your gates. The third thing I want to show you, we said first that a legacy of faith starts in our heart. It's seen in our hands. Number three, a legacy of faith is always felt in our homes and in our houses. Let's talk about our houses for just a moment. If you want to know the truth about what's going on in someone's life, don't just listen to what they want you to think about them. Just go visit their home. You'll always find out the truth about what's going on in their life when you go into their home. Now, I don't want this to sound like I'm the home monitor or I'm the home spy, you know, as a pastor or something like that, but we've been invited to go places, and there have been so many occasions where friends from outside the church, people from inside the church have invited us to their home. When you go in, there's just a peace about their home. You see the way that they deal with their kids. You see the organization of their home and all of these things. And what you understand is that they've put God first in all these areas of their life and all the external stuff's fallen into place. When you walk in, you just sense that peace that the Holy Spirit is here, that God is here. This is a place of faith where these people have chosen to put God first. But can I be really honest with you? There's also been times where I've been invited to go to somebody's home, whether it was just me or it was me and my family. You walk in the door and right, I mean, as soon as you take that first step, you just know something's not right here. Something's out of order. Something's out of place. Or even more specifically, oftentimes you walk into someone's home and you find out very quickly who or what somebody's God is. There's been times here as a pastor where people have called the church and they've said, Pastor, can you come and pray for us at our home? And we say, well, sure, what's going on? We've got this issue in our home. We don't know what it is. We're not sure what's happening. It seems like, you know, the enemy, the devil is up to something in our house. And that can oftentimes be true, but the thing is we have to, that we have to understand is it starts in our heart, it's revealed in our hands, but it's most certainly felt in the home. Now, here's why this is important when we talk about a legacy being felt in the home. Because our kids, our children, our grandchildren, they're products of our environment. And what they learn in our homes, what they receive in our homes, what they are raised up with, what they are nurtured in and grown in, in our environments and in our atmospheres of our homes, they're going to take with them into the world in which we are sending them one day. You know, last year in the fall, my daughter was starting kindergarten, and uh, all the parents, you know, and when you start kindergarten now, you know, do like a four-hour uh, class, and each day you go in just for either the first half of the day or the second half. So my wife and I, we went in to be with all of the other parents and kids who were in my daughter's half of the school day. And we went in there, and our teacher was just introducing herself, or her teacher was introducing herself to all the parents, and she started talking, and this is California public schools, okay? She starts talking about how her and her husband are very involved in their church, and they have kids who are now in full-time ministry and working for ministries and churches, and as she's talking about all of this, I'm just impressed that she's coming out and saying it all, but I'm also impressed with her. I'm like, wow, this woman must not just be a good teacher because she's been at the school for a long time, but she's raised up, it sounds like, some really great kids, and her and her husband, they still serve at a local church right here in our town. And I'm like, yes, this woman is going to be my daughter's teacher. This is great. This is so cool. So, of course, what do I do? You know, enthusiastically, when this meeting is over, my wife and I, we walk up to her, and I want to impress her. I want her to know that we're good parents. We're God-fearing people. We're Christians. Like, you know, we're going to raise good kids, and our daughter's going to be your best student. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I tell her, yeah, I'm a pastor at another church here in town. And she's like, oh, really? Which church? And I tell her, and she's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, you know, we're familiar with the bridge. And, you know, she's saying all these things back and forth, but I went home later and I felt kind of stupid because I realized it doesn't matter what I say to her. It doesn't matter how much I try to impress her. It doesn't matter what kind of facade or mask I try to put on to make her think good things about me and my family. She's going to have my daughter for four hours a day. She's going to know what's going on at home. Why? Because our kids are a product of our environment. 
Whatever's going on at home, she's going to take with her when she goes to school every day. And I can sugarcoat it, and I can try to put lipstick on that pig and make it look good. But the truth is, when my daughter gets to school, all the stuff that's going on inside because of the way that we've raised her in our home will be felt because she, again, is a product of her environment. Because the legacy of faith, the legacy that we're trying to build in our kids... It's going to be felt in our homes, and people will go, in the, or in this outside world, as we send our kids into it, people will feel that legacy that we're trying to build in our homes because our kids are a product of those environments. Now, I know that all of you, you know that and you realize that, and we talk a lot about the importance of raising our kids the right way, but again, what are we talking about today? We're talking about legacy. What's most interesting in the story of Moses in Deuteronomy 6 is that Moses has a protege. Moses has a man who's going to be following in his footsteps and, in fact, leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And it's not just going to be one day. In fact, in context here in the Scripture, it's going to be happening soon. And, of course, that man's name is Joshua. And he's walked alongside Moses, and he's shadowed Moses, and he's seen you know, what's going on in Moses' heart, the dealings of his hands, what happens in Moses' own home or in his tent, if you want to be more specific. And Joshua is coming up behind Moses. And later on, when Joshua starts to walk into the promised land with the Israelites, there comes a day where the Israelites are faced with this decision of whom they're going to serve. Because it's God that's got them to this point. It's God that's got them into the promised land. And Joshua, as the leader of an entire nation of people, one day finds himself having to lay down the law, the right, the wrong, draw the line in the sand, and encourage these people to make a decision about how they're going to live their lives. And this is what he says later on in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Many of you know this passage well. Joshua says, Now therefore, for the, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. That's in reference to when they were in bondage in Egypt. He says, serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day, right now, whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But watch what he says here. But as for me... And as for my house, we will serve the Lord. There will come a time in all of our lives where we have to make a decision for ourselves just the same way that our parents and our grandparents did, where we will have to make a decision not for them, but for us, whom we're going to serve. And Joshua says, listen, I don't care what the decision is that you make. Your future will be determined by the decision that you make. But I'm just telling you right now, as for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. And the reason why I emphasize this passage of Scripture really clearly is because there will be no greater testimony of the legacy that you and I leave behind than when one day our kids are faced with difficult decisions and they put their foot down and they draw that line in the sand and they refer back to the truths that we gave them and they say, I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care what popular culture says. I don't care what's politically correct. I don't care what's socially acceptable. As for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord because I know that God has my best in mind. I know God's plans are better than my plans, and I'm making the decision now to serve the Lord. And again, there will be no greater testimony to the legacy that you and I leave behind than when our kids are faced with those decisions and they put their foot down and say, we will serve the Lord. And I would even go a step further and say that the greatest legacy that Moses could have left behind would not be what he accomplished in his life, but would be what Joshua accomplished 
with His. With that in mind in closing today, here's what I want to show you. And I want to tie this together, and I'm really hoping that this will hit home with you. We've talked about legacy. A legacy of faith, it starts in our hearts. It's shown and seen in our hands, and it's felt in our houses and in our homes. The book of Deuteronomy, like I said earlier, it's not the most exciting book in the Bible. But one thing that's so interesting and so fascinating about this book is that there's this one detail that hovers over the whole book that we so often miss, and because of it, we tend to miss the context of the rest of the book. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, it's shown to us that Moses tells the people of Israel that there's an entire generation of them that will not be going into the promised land. And not only that, but Moses says that not only is one generation of Israelites not going to go into the promised land because of their rebellion and their disobedience to God, but Moses then tells them that he's not going in either. What we see historically is that, you know, there was disobedience on Moses' rebellion, really, on Moses' behalf in the desert of Zen, where he struck the rock to bring out water, and it was all in anger and frustration with the people and with God. And perhaps we think that some of the people's rebellion has been, you know, accounted to Moses, and as a result, God, for whatever reason, has made this decision that a whole generation of Israelites aren't going to go into the promised land, but Moses isn't going in either. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 1. That means that the rest of this book is spoken and written by Moses knowing that he's not going into the promised land. Now, i got to be honest with you. If I knew that there wasn't going to be a paycheck at the end of the, the work period, I would probably quit. If I knew that there, wasn't, there was not going to be a reward at the end of the journey, at the end of the race, at the end of the effort, I would probably stop running. Because as human beings, it's in our nature that if I'm not going to receive the payout, that I'm just going to quit now. But Moses goes the entire book of Deuteronomy encouraging and inspiring these people to go in and possess something that he's not going to get to possess himself. What an amazing thought that is. So I would say to you again, the book of Deuteronomy, not so much about law as it is about legacy. I told you, if there wasn't going to be a payout at the end of the job, I think I would quit. If there wasn't going to be a reward at the end of the race, I would probably stop running. But let me just ask you a few questions when you think about the legacy that you are leaving behind in your life. Would you be willing to invest years of your life into something even if you weren't going to see the payout in your lifetime? Would you be willing to invest your life into something even though someone else would be receiving the return on your investment? Would you go the extra mile so that someone else can make it further than you did? Would you be willing to give your life away so that someone else can receive a greater inheritance. Moses chose to give his whole life away. He went this entire book knowing he wasn't going to get into the land, but because he was so committed to leaving behind the legacy that God was calling him to, he went the entire book inspiring and encouraging these Israelites to go in and possess something that he wasn't going to lay hands on. What an amazing thought that is. Why would Moses be so willing to do this? Why was he so willing to give his life away for somebody else? If 
final scripture. We didn't read this earlier. This is later on in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in times to come, saying, what's the meaning of these testimonies? What's the meaning of these statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were once slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our God, uh, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. In other words, Moses was telling them, there's coming a day when your sons and your daughters are going to come to you and say, why did you tell us to keep these commandments and these statutes? And it's because he understood that generationally they needed to understand, listen, there was a time when we were slaves in Egypt. We didn't have this. We didn't have this land. We didn't have all this blessing of God accessible to us. There was a time that we were slaves. And the reality is, as New Testament Christians today, That's still our testimony. We were all once slaves to sin. We've been bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And for all of us, there's going to come a day where our kids are going to come to us and say, why did you take us to church on Sundays? Why did we tune in to Bridge Kids online on Sunday mornings? Why did we go to the outdoor service? Why did we go back to church even when the pandemic was over? Why did we read the Bible together? Why did we pray together? Why did we thank God for our meals? Why did we do all those things? Because there was a time that we were slaves. We were sinful people. We were slaves to sin and to ourselves. But God, with a mighty hand, he rescued us and he redeemed us. And Moses tells this to all of the Israelites. And I think the reason he says it to them is because Moses understood that his highest calling wasn't to build the legacy of the greatness of Moses. It was to leave behind a legacy of the greatness of of God who's redeemed us. And we're responsible to pass that on and to carry that on to the generation that follows us. And that same charge is still alive and active in our lives today. We still have that responsibility. What kind of a legacy are we going to leave behind? Final thought. I remember last year we celebrated our 35th anniversary as as a church. And our founding pastor, Pastor Roger Brewer, he wasn't here with us because he passed away a couple years ago. But Pastor Evie, his wife, Pastor Evie, you might be watching right now. We love you. I remember talking with Pastor Evie, though, after our Sunday services when we celebrated our uh, anniversary as a church, just having some casual conversation. And I asked Pastor Evie, I said, you know, when you guys pastored this church for so many years, you carried so much. It was such a big responsibility. But then there came that day that you retired. I think it was 24, almost 25 years that they, they led this church and really started this church. I said, when you retired, to go from carrying the whole thing one day to the very next day, not carrying it at all, that must have been an enormous you know, sense of relief. But was there worry? Was there concern that this thing that we've carried all these years suddenly isn't our responsibility anymore? Did you worry about it? Did you, did you still care about it? Did you, did you feel as though you know, this big responsibility was just being given to somebody else? And she said, you know, it was hard at first. She said, but then I began to realize this church, it's not our church. It's God's church. She said, and when we realized that, when we had that revelation, We were happy to get out of the way and let a new generation come through and carry on this legacy 
of what God had done because it wasn't our church. It was always his church. This faith that I have, this life that I have, sure, it's mine, but it's not my own. Jesus said the way that I show the legacy of goodness of God is by loving him with everything I have, loving my neighbor as myself. And the generation that's following us, they're watching. So who are we living for? You say, oh, I'm living for God. Right. But Jesus said if we're living for God, we're living for him and for others. So let's leave behind a legacy of faith. Amen? Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to follow you, not just in this life, but into eternity. I thank you for that blessed assurance that we have in our hearts that when this life is over, we'll spend all of eternity with you. We thank you, God, that there is a promised land that awaits us in eternity. But I pray, God, that you would help us to keep in mind, be strengthened inside and inspired inside to keep following you, knowing that there are others who are following us. And as we know that and as we see that and as we recognize that, that we would start with our hearts. We would guard our hearts, that our hearts would stay pure before you that the dealings of our hands would be pure in your sight and the sight of others so that others would see that legacy of faith in the works of our hands. And I pray that we would, in our homes, be fostering and nurturing environments where we are raising up a new generation of people who will seek after you and one day make the decision for themselves that as for them and as for their house, they're going to serve the Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray that we would lead lives that leave legacy behind your goodness, not ours, but of your goodness in Jesus' name. And if you're watching at home today right now, I just ask you in a prayerful moment just to consider where it is that you're at in your walk with God. You say, Zach, I don't have a relationship with God, but can I just tell you today that Jesus died for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. If you've never made a decision to follow him, scripture tells us that it's our sin that separates us from God. You say, why Jesus? Because Jesus was the only Son of God, who came to this earth, born supernaturally, lived a sinless, spotless life, went to a cross and died a death, taking our punishment for our sin in this life upon his back. But after dying and taking that sacrifice upon him, scripture tells us that God raised him from the dead three days later, conquering death and hell in the grave for you and for me. If we would put our faith in that sacrifice that Jesus made, we would experience this thing called salvation. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you into that relationship. And it just starts with a simple prayer and a heartfelt commitment to follow him. Not just to call him Savior, but to call him Lord. Surrender our life to him. I want to invite you in and do this right now in the comfort of your own home. Just pray this prayer right out loud and make it your own. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me, to take my place on the cross. I thank you that you raised him from the dead, that you conquered death for me, so that I would not have to face it in eternity. So in this life, I choose you as my Savior, and I surrender my life to you, become the Lord of my life, so that I can walk with you now and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision to follow Jesus, we want to help you get started in your walk with God. On the screen right now are some instructions of how you can start that journey. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the same instructions there on the YouTube streaming page. Be sure to check that out. Click on it because we want to put a gift in your hand called The Next 7 Days. You can also DM us on all of our social media platforms. Just use the word Next 7 and we'll get in touch with you. Put The Next 7 Days in your hand and help you get started in your walk with God. We're so glad that you made that decision. Thank you so, so much. 
finally, the very last thing that we're going to do before we finish up today is just simply honor God with our giving. And I want to take a moment just to say thank you for your faithfulness and for your generosity, for putting God first with your tithes and with your offerings. Our church is always moving forward. The kingdom of God is moving forward, obviously because of a good and generous God, but also because of your generosity. And thank you for taking your place. Thank you for being obedient and putting God first because together we're doing so much more than we would ever be able to do on our own. And I just want to say on behalf of our team, our staff, our pastors, thank you again for your generosity, the way that you've allowed and continue to really just help our church thrive during this season through community care, through our missions efforts that are continuing around the world. Even during a difficult season, we have still been able to be a blessing to our community, to our missions partners across the world. And again, it's because of your generosity. So thank you so much. Different ways that you can give that are on the screen. If you're going to be here at our outdoor service tonight, you can give at our tithe and offering drop as well. You can always send uh, mail in if you're a check a giver, you can do that as well by mailing your gift here to the church and the address can be found on our website. But again, thank you so much for your generosity. We never take it for granted and we're just so, so thankful to be able to partner together to see the kingdom of God go forward. Hey, we hope to see you tonight at our outdoor service, 6 p.m. here on the plaza at the bridge. We're going to be honoring grads, high school and college alike. We're going to be worshiping God, hearing a short devotional message. It's going to be a great night. We love you. Thank you for spending your Sunday with us. We hope to see you tonight. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Thanks again for joining us for Church Online at the Bridge. If you made a decision to follow Christ for the first time or you decided to rededicate your life, we want to help you begin your journey of faith. We have a free gift we want to give you called The Next 7 Days. It's a simple tool that will help you to take your next steps. If you'd like to get it, just direct message us on Facebook or Instagram with the words Next 7. You can also click the link right there in the platform that you're watching from. We'll be happy to connect with you and get you this free gift. We are so glad that you made this life-changing decision. So once again, congratulations and thanks for joining us today. We hope to see you tonight at our outdoor service. It's at 6 p.m. right here at the bridge. Have a great Sunday and a wonderful week.